God, we need your grace. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to receive your truth, Lord God. Without it, we're just looking at words on the page. We need you to illuminate the scriptures to us, God. Make it plain, make it clear, God, that we are transformed by your word. God, I'm praying that you do a work in the body, God, through your scripture. God, make it clear and plain and bring excitement as you brought it in my eyes as I studied your word and you just put me on fire with your truth. God, I pray you just pour and rain down, Lord God, by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, believers. So today we're going to look in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 14. And if I had to title this, I've been kind of going back and forth on the title. I wanted to say the eternal resolution, which is to know him. But I guess you can put a colon there where I would say, or title this as, Every Day is New Year's. Every Day is New Year's. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 14. We're going to look at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Let's see what he says and how we can be encouraged this new year. Because New Year's, people often have resolutions, goals, and some people are not into it and some people are. But as I was saying earlier, there should be one thing on your list all the time, one priority. That is to seek God. So we're going to look at Paul's resolution, if you will. And why he is so driven to make this his goal, to make this the end, to know the Lord. So let's read the scriptures. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 14. And I heard you, you, a preacher should never say I'm going to be brief or short because <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. But uh, I don't plan to hold you too long. But however the Holy Spirit moves, we're going to go. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 14. And you know what? I do this every time. I just like always going back an extra verse so we can get a context, 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 context. So I don't want to just come in for I'm going to just start at the beginning of chapter 3 and read down. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I might my, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Why is that, Paul? Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever 
Things were gained to me. Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay a hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, meaning partakers, believers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul. If we can go back in time and ask the Apostle Paul, what is your New Year's resolution? What did you do, Paul? Even though they probably didn't celebrate New Year's resolutions, right? But if I can go back in time and say, Paul, what was your New Year's resolution? I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I'm pretty sure that year over year, over year, over year, he would have the same answer, the same resolution. And that would be to know him, to know Christ, to know him more deeply, to know him even more than just relieving the poor, to know him more than just feeding the hungry, to know him more than just helping out the homeless, to know him more than just ministry itself. His resolution or his goal, his aim would be to know him, to know Christ, period. So before you make your New Year's list, or even if you don't have a resolution, but if you have life goals or purposes or things you are striving after, I pray that knowing Christ is at the top. I pray that knowing him more deeply is your main goal. And so in this letter that we just read of Paul to the Philippians, we, we see Paul is here laying out why Christ is so valuable to him and why he will stop at nothing to get more of him. And so when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians and showing why Christ is so valuable to him, he starts off by showing them how the things that really meant something to him after encountering Christ, they no longer mean much to him. See, during this time, at this point in history, in first century Judaism, a person valued or your value was found in your lineage, your lineage, or how well you were keeping the Mosaic law how well your family were keeping the Mosaic law. So if you had a good name, your family was keeping the law and everybody knew about it, 
you had a pretty nice pedigree. That was something you took stock in. That was something you had pride in. That's something that you put your confidence in, your pedigree. But not so much for Paul, at least now with Christ. See, before Paul used to put his pedigree, he used to have his confidence in the flesh, in those things, in his lineage, in his name, in the fact that his family kept the law. And so that is why when we see that in verse four to eight, he's he's given us a list of things that shows his value according to the uh, Judaic system. So he starts off in four by saying that if anybody wants to boast in the flesh and have confidence in the flesh, I can boast more than anybody. Because guess how religious my family was? Look at verse five. He says, my family was, was so religious that guess what? They followed Moses' law. So on the eighth day, which Moses said that you have to circumcise your son, guess what? My family did that. So I, I, could, I can boast in that. And he said, guess what? I'm from the nation of Israel. We're God's chosen people. I, I, can, I can boast in that. And then he goes, says, not only I'm from the nation of Israel, but guess what? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. That's a great tribe. And he also said that I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not one of these Greek Hebrews, but I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. And, and as to the law, guess what? I was, I was a Pharisee, meaning I was a teacher of the law. I mean, I'm one of the major leaders. I'm a ruler. People look up to me. And then he says, as to the law, guess what? I was zealous. I kept this law. I was perfect. I was blameless. As to my zeal, guess what? I persecuted other churches, other believers. So Paul is showing that I have a pretty nice pedigree. So if anybody wants to boast in the flesh, if anybody wants to say something about who they are, I could do it more than anybody. But Paul is now showing us that that stuff doesn't matter anymore since he has encountered Christ. Paul is no longer placing his confidence and his pedigree for his right standing with God now. Now he has grabbed the hold of Christ. And Christ is where he's, he's putting his stock. And so his value now is no longer in himself for standing right before God. His value now is fully in Christ. That is fully why he believes he will stand righteous before God. And so Paul is now giving up that thing that was so valuable to him to the point that he says in the scripture that it has become rubbish to me. And if you have a King James version, it'll say dung. Meaning it's like animal excrement. That's how he values it now. The value of knowing Christ and having what I used to have is like worthless now, he's saying. Because Christ is so much more valuable that that stuff that I used to cling to, that stuff that I thought made me right with God, that stuff that I was putting my hope in to be in the heaven and to stand right before God, now I consider it to be animal excrement. It's rubbish. It's filth. It's waste. It's nothing when you compare that to the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And so he's showing us why that stuff doesn't matter. So Paul is dropping the confidence in his own self-righteousness in exchange for the righteousness which comes from God through faith in Christ. So this pedigree that Paul had, he doesn't want it anymore. But in there, he shows us the meaning why he doesn't want it. Because that pedigree it only led to him being more self-righteous. And he understood that 
In order for me to have all of my faith in Christ, I would have to lose this. I would have to give up that thing that is most valuable to me, which is my name, my my heritage, and all of those different things. In order for me to have 100% complete faith in Christ, I would have to give this up. Because if I kept this, this would constantly compete with my faith in Christ. I would put my faith in myself, and then I would put my faith in Christ. I would say, no, I'm a rest in that I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, as opposed to putting my faith in Christ. So Paul is realizing that I can't have both of these things here. I have to to let one go if I'm going to fully commit to Christ. It can't be, no, I'm 95% in Christ, trusting in him for my salvation, and 5% trusting in myself and my good works and my good name and all the good things that I do. He's saying, no, that in order for me to fully grab Christ, I have to let go of these things that I really thought was valuable. And that is the same thing for us. There's things that we, we grab a hold onto. And in order for us to go higher in Christ, you're going to have to let those things go because your hands are full and you, and you, and you need Christ. And I was listening to uh, David Platt and he gave a great analogy. And he was saying that if your belly is full with the things of the, of, of the world, you're not going to have an appetite for anything else. You're not going to have an appetite for Christ. Just like with food, if you're constantly eating food, after you ate that last whatever you ate, you don't want another bite of something else. Why? Because your belly is full. And that's the same thing. If our, if our belly is full with the things of this world or other things, our desire and our longing for Christ is going to be small. You're not going to have an appetite for the Lord. But you have to let go of those things so that you may grab a hold of Christ. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying that it's going to be all Christ and it's not going to be none of me. It's going to be all God and what he has done for me. That is where I'm going to place my faith in my right standing before God fully in Christ and none in myself, none in my works. But this verse should also, that we're reading, it should also serve as a warning to us as believers, a warning against self-righteousness. Because it's really easy as we begin to walk in Christ and he begins to deliver us from from certain sins and actions that we begin to place our faith in the fact that we don't do certain actions. Well, I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke. So I know I'm saved. I do all of these good actions. So I know I'm saved. When we begin to do that, we are placing our confidence in ourselves. It's not about what we haven't done, but it's about what Christ has done. And that is how we fight against the self-righteousness that Paul is showing in here. Because those self-righteous acts that he had was only going to lead to him thinking that he himself is great and not God. So we cannot place our faith even in our own good works thinking that that is why we're saved. I don't care if you're making so many a ton of disciples and you're planting churches all over the world. Your salvation still only rests fully in Christ, not in these good works that you're doing. But that's a major caution that we have to think about and guard against. Because we can so easily look at ourselves being redeemed and begin to put our confidence and faith in the fact that we we don't do certain actions anymore. And believe that because we don't do these certain works anymore, we are now righteous before God because we don't do those. When No, it's not about what you don't do or even what you do. Even if you are doing, it's all about what Christ did for you what he has done. So Paul, in order to get more of Christ, 
in order to make Christ more of the treasure, he wants to shred any bit, any little scintilla of self-righteousness so that Christ will fully be full in his life. And so that is why here in this text, he's saying all of that stuff is now dung to me. It's animal excrement because I want Christ more. I don't want my own self-righteousness. And so Paul, understanding now that his righteousness is fully based on God through Christ, him understanding that Jesus has redeemed him and set him free, now his goal or his aim in life is just to know God even more through Christ. Now that becomes the major thing, the major point of his life. Now that he has his righteous standing because of what Christ has done, his aim is now, I want to know more of this person who has purchased me this great salvation. That is now his aim. And why in verse 10 he says, I just want to know him. And I want to know him in his sufferings. And I want to know him um, um, in, in, in the power of his resurrection. I want to know this person who has redeemed me, who has made me alive. He has great, gave me this great salvation to where now I stand with God in peace. Where now my sins have been wiped away. So now the point of my life is just, I just want to know him more. I just want to grab more of him. See, Paul understands that before Christ, he was in bondage to sin. And I want to show you what I mean by that. If you can't go with me to Romans 7, a famous verse. Go to Romans 7. Let's go to verse This is why I want to show you, give you some more evidence why Paul so longs for Christ to know him deeply. Because Christ did something that he could never do himself. Look what he is. Romans 7, verse 23. Look what he says. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind or heart is serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So what you're reading here, Paul is describing our human nature, our flesh as a prison. He said, my body, I'm trapped in this prison. This prison, um, and, and I'm a slave to sin. My flesh, my human nature, it, it longs for sin. I am trapped in this body. He calls it a body of death because he knows all of these passions inside of him, all of those wrong thoughts that we have, all of the lust, all of the things that are against God that comes inside of our flesh, the things that we long for. He calls, he said, it's like a prison. And really, that's how it feels. Think about when you didn't know the Lord. You were led by your flesh. You were led by your passions. You were entrapped in this sin body, where Paul calls it the body of death. And so Paul says, who's going to deliver me from this death, this prison that I am? My flesh just wants sin. My flesh just wants to do all the things that are not of God. It's lusting and it wants to do all of the wrong things. He says, who's going to save me? I'm just a wretched man. 
But he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because it is through Christ he gets set free from the bondage of sin. It is through Christ that he is now walking in a new life. It is through Christ that he is no longer the tail, but he's the head. And because of this great deliverance that Christ has done for him and deliver him from the bondage of sin to where he's no longer a slave, is no longer controlling him. And the fact that Christ has given him this great salvation where he now stands right with God, he says, I just want to know more of this person who has done so much for me. And believer, that should be you as well. If Christ has done anything for you, your desire should be just like Paul's. I just want to know more of this person who has delivered me because I used to be doing this and addicted to this, but Christ has delivered me. Or I used to think this way, but Christ has given me new eyesight. Or I used to love this way, but now I love greater. And since Christ has done this thing for me, I just want to know more of this person who, who loves me and more of this person who has given his life for me and more of this person who speaks to me. And so that is Paul's desire now here. Christ did something for him that he couldn't do himself. He set him free from the bondage. And so that is why he wants more of Christ. That is why Christ is now more of the aim. And so when we go back to our main text here in Philippians, verse 10 he says that my aim is just to know him. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So he's saying, Christ, I, I want to know you, but I want to know you in every way possible. That This is the person who was addicted to Christ. He says, Christ, I want to know you in your sufferings. I, I want to know the power of your resurrection even being conformed into your death. Like, I just want you. This is a person who's who's longing for Christ, that in every way possible, every way that Christ lived and everything that he did, he just wants to know and experience him in that area because he has done such a great thing for him where he even gets to the point where, where, where he says that if by any means necessary or by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. As he says in verse 11, why is Paul saying that by any means possible or that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead? When Paul says the resurrection of the dead and by any means possible, he wants to attain to this. He's not talking about the general um, uh, resurrection. The general resurrection is the resurrection of the just and the unjust. So everybody's going to resurrect. Understand this. Everybody's going to resurrect. Some are going to resurrect unto condemnation. Some are going to resurrect unto life. So Paul is not talking particularly about just the general revelation or resurrection, but he's talking about the resurrection of the righteous. And at the resurrection of the righteous, guess what happens? At this point in time, the believer would now be able to see Christ fully. He will now be able to experience God truly. He will now be able to see the Lord as he has 
never seen before. So Paul is saying, I'm longing for the resurrection because at the resurrection, then I will be able to have my treasure. Then I will be able to see my treasure face to face. It's no more this partial, but now I'm going to be able to just hug them and love them and see them and be with them forever in the new heavens and new earth where there's no more sin. There's no more pain. See, he just wants the resurrection because now he can be with the love of his life. He can be with Christ more fully. And so that's why he says, if I may attain to the resurrection, because at this resurrection, he gets to grab a hold of the prize, which is Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians. I want to bring this out to you in Scripture so you don't think that I'm just giving you my opinion. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to look at verse 9 and go down. So look at verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. Look what the apostle says here. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So not fully we know in part. We don't know it fully. We prophesy in part. But guess what? But when the perfect comes, talking about Christ, when Christ comes, who is the perfect, guess what? The partial will be done away with. Go to verse 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. It's not exactly clear. We're looking through a dim mirror. But then when the perfect comes, guess what? We're going to see him face to face. Face. He says, now I know in part. But guess what? But then I will know fully, just as just as I also have been known fully. So he's saying, like right now, I have Christ, but I I I don't see him fully like I should, or like we could. And so he he's longing for this day when the perfect returns, when when Christ returns, where he'll be able to see him in his full array. We'll be able to see him in the glory that he is. He'll be able to see him in, in his full holiness. And so he, he wants this day. He's looking forward to this, this treasure, to, to actually grabbing a hold of the treasure. And he says, if anything possible, if any way possible, I want to attain to the resurrection. So if I have to go through sufferings in this life, if I have to even die in this life, if I have to go through pain in this life, it doesn't matter. I just want you. I just want the treasure. I just want to be a part of the resurrection. That's the point that Paul is making here. He wants to be with his treasure. He wants to see him. He wants to see him face to face. He doesn't care what he has to do. And I love this verse because Paul is showing us that he has not arrived. He's not acting like he's already there. He's saying, I, 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 I want to. I'm, I, I want to attain to this. Even though he already knows that his salvation is secure in Christ, he knows that he will attain to the resurrection of the righteous. But he, 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 he wants to just keep striving. He doesn't want to put on the brakes. And so he's telling us here in Philippians that if possible, I may attain to the resurrection. Because that is where my treasure is. And 11, when he says, in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. But then 
In 12, he says, not that high have already obtained it, already become perfect, but I press on, I press on so that I may lay a hold of that which also I was laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. So again, Paul is saying that I'm pressing forward. I know my salvation is secure in Christ. He says that in the beginning of the verses that we read. He said that his righteousness, his right standing was through faith in Christ. So he knows that he has it. But he's saying, I'm not going to just put my feet up because I have salvation. I'm not going to just sit back, but I'm going to press towards the mark. I'm going to consistently pursue God. See, there's no retirement in the Christian life. We are constantly pursuing God. And and I love how, how John Piper brings this out. He says, one of the biggest challenges to Christianity, to American Christianity, is the word retirement. He says, because with retirement, we focus on going on trips. We're thinking about where the places we're going to go. Our focus is on our, our, our children, our grandchildren. And he's like, no, the focus is you're still on Christ. You're still in the fight. You're still in the battle. Yes, you have salvation. Yes, yes, salvation is yours. Yes, you have the new heavens and new earth. But we don't live like that. We are constantly fighting. We're constantly striving to get to the treasure. So there is no retirement. That's why Paul said he's still moving in here. He understands that we are still in this fight. We are still in a battle. And so to many of the people in, in Philippi, when Paul says these verses that, I want to obtain to the resurrection of the dead and that I have not fully grabbed Christ. Many of them are probably surprised to hear Paul say that. Because Paul, remember, Paul is the great church planner. Paul has made disciples after disciples after disciples, but yet he's taken his humble position saying that I have not yet grabbed Christ. You would think that Paul is the one, if anybody has fully grabbed the hold of Christ, who knows him in the most intimate way, who is already there and arrived. But Paul is showing no. I have not arrived. I'm still going forward. I'm still pressing towards the mark. I'm still reaching stronger and going harder and harder and trying to obtain my Lord. And that is why in verse 12, when he says, but I press on, the word press on in the Greek is dioko, dioko. And dioko means to flee or to run as in a race. So Paul is saying that I am running towards this treasure. I am running towards to lay a hold of that thing which has laid a hold of me. He says, so Christ has laid a hold of me and he has taken me out of the depths of sin. He has removed me from Satan's grip. He has removed me from the bondage of all those things that are against God. He's grabbed me and now I'm in the Father's hand eternally. And so he's saying, I just want to press towards that hand that has grabbed me. I just want more of that person who has grabbed me and has taken me out of the dust and brought me into the marvelous light. I'm going to press towards this mark. That is the aim of my life. He said, I'm going to press forward. And that's why we did the song that said, I'm chasing after you. Again, it's not as if God is running, but we are in a marathon. We're in a race. 
And the prize is Christ to see him fully and clearly. So Paul is saying, I am running towards that. That is my mission. That is my purpose. I want to grab a hold of it. So Paul is showing us that this Christian life is a race. It's a marathon. We're running a race. We're running for a prize. Imagine this. Imagine you had a runner. He was running a race or training for a race. He's running an event like the Olympics, let's say the 400, running a race. And imagine he's on the last leg of the race. On the last leg of the race, last lap, he's running the race, coming around, and all of a sudden he hears an ice cream truck. And he sees an ice cream truck. And imagine doing a race, he's running, he just runs off the track. And starts chasing the ice cream truck. That's what we do when Christ is not our aim and our goal. As opposed to us running the race for the prize. We're running after things that sound tempting and good. But that ice cream will not satisfy. It's only going to melt. And it's only going to last just for a little bit. But the runner must understand at the finish line. There's a buffet. There's an unlimited prize and treasure, so we keep running the race. But when Christ is not our aim, when other things are our aim, we're just like this person taking our eyes off of the prize and going after a thing of lesser value. You know what the scriptures call that? That's idolatry. When you put something else and make it more valuable than God, that's called idolatry. And as my wife so artic- I mean, so beautifully articulated at our mission of community on Friday, guess what? An idol, it can be your children. An idol can be your husband. It can be your wife. An idol can be your job. An idol could be your dreams. An idol can be your money, your house. All of those things are like chasing after the truck. They're not going to satisfy you. The only one that's going to satisfy you is Christ. So we stay running after the prize. So that has to be your aim, my brothers and sisters. Chasing after the Christ. We don't want these idols. So I'm going to ask you, what is the target of your life? What is your New Year's resolution? What is your why? What is the aim? Why are you coming here every Sunday? Why are you reading your scriptures? Is it to know more of Christ? Is it to know him more deeply? Is it so that you can grab a hold of the prize? You you have to know why you're running the race. You have to remind yourself why you're running the race. The cross always has to be before you. As Layla was showing, when you, you step away from Christ and other stuff comes, the cross always has to be before you. And so that's what's happening here with Paul. Christ is before him. The cross is before him. And so he's saying he is running. He's pushing to grab a hold of what has grabbed a hold of him. And he shows us that even though we are running after Christ, we're always grabbing. We're always wanting more. He says that, I, let's go to verse uh, 14. He says, 
or 13. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. He's living this life. He's running for the prize. That's his aim. And he said he's pressing towards the goal of the prize. What is the prize? The prize is salvation. It's to see Christ clearly and truly. That's the prize. That's the prize. That is the thing that we're targeting. Heaven is not heaven if Christ is not there. Even if he takes away all the sin, all the disease, all the sickness, if Christ is not there, which is the prize, it's not heaven. And so Paul, he said, I just want the prize. That's my resolution. That's why I'm working. That's, That's why I'm going. I just want more of Christ. So every day for Paul, it's New Year's. And what I mean by that is for New Year's, we say it's the end of one thing. We're not looking in the past and we're constantly looking forward to the future. So Paul is constantly looking to the future. He's constantly looking at his prize of Christ. And that prize that he sees is keeping him going. Even when the beatings come, even when the nakedness comes, even when the imprisonment come, even when the stripes come, even when people leave me, even when all this trauma and this trials come against me, I'm focusing on the prize and the prize is keeping me going. It's the prize. And this should be our motive and pursuit in this life. To know Christ more clearly. To see him clearly. To grab a hold of him. And understand this, we all have different walks of life. My pursuit of Christ may be different from yours. In a general sense, we all have the call to make disciples. We are called to be obedient to Christ, study our scriptures, pray, love one another. But I don't know, you may have, Paul's ministry was to Gentiles. That is how he was pursuing Christ. I don't know what God God has called you to. But whatever he's called you to, you have to be obedient and pursue him in whatever way possible. Nothing must stop you. You pursue the treasure. You must pursue the prize. Let's make that our aim every year, every day, more of Christ, more of the prize, more of the treasure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, Savior, Redeemer, thank you for being our prize and our treasure. Thank you for making yourself known, God. Thank you for filling us with your joy. It is you that gives us the joy of life, knowing you, communing with you, fellowshipping with you, living by your word in obedience to you, God. That gives us life. The Lord is our heart's desire. We want to see you clearly. We want to grab a hold of you. We want to touch your feet. We want to be with you where you are. And so until that day, until you return, God, we're going to keep pursuing you and chasing you, Lord, because you are our heart's desire. We want you. This world has nothing to offer us, God. We want you, Lord. You are our source. You are our strength. So, God, thank you for allowing us to know you.
Jesus' name. Amen.